Renewing your faith in people at a Chick-fil-A. Our good news story coming right up. The Daily Detour. Headlines and entertainment on your schedule. Featuring music by our house band, Quickie. And now, your host, Dan Roberts. It is snowing where I am. It is snowing all over the place uh, in these United States of ours. If you're listening from someplace tropical, good for good for you. Don't want to hear about it. Lucky. Coming up on today's show, one of the monologue writers for Conan O'Brien, comedian Lori Kilmartin, and she talks about what it's like to write for a late-night TV talk show. Uh, she has some advice for moms. Wrote a book on it called Shitty Mom. And how's this for interesting? She once had a prostitute for a roommate. Now, there's something that's never been on the podcast before. No one's ever mentioned anything similar to that. And sadly, she also lost her mom to COVID pretty early in the pandemic. And uh, I can't thank her enough for sharing her story. I think it's an important story to hear. As much as we see on the television, I I feel like Lori's story drives it home in a way that nothing I've seen on television has. And I will warn you that uh, just because we talk about death does not mean that Lori stops being a comedian. She did a whole comedy special when her dad passed away. So get ready for some gallows humor. She's an interesting comic, very smart, and I'm so glad I get to share that interview with you unedited and in its entirety. Thanks to KZZU for letting me uh, dip into my archives for that. So let's get rolling. Let's get started here with that good news story. Hakulea Taniguchi is a 19-year-old from Hawaii who recently moved to Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, where the weather is pretty much like it is here. Some snow on the ground, and that's new for Taniguchi, who's used to temperatures in the 70s and 80s right about this time of year. Uh, Yet she bikes to work every day, a two-hour commute, two hours pedaling that bicycle, and she admits it's kind of cold. Kind of cold outside. Teeth rattling. That, of course, an understatement if you're out there on a bicycle in these single digits. And work, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, is at Chick-fil-A. And at Christmas, the fine folks at that particular Chick-fil-A were raffling off a car. All of the employees at the Appleton fast food restaurant were entered to win. And I'm sure they all wanted to win. Taniguchi, maybe more than most. So there she is with everybody else at the Christmas party. When the winner's name was drawn out of a hat, guess whose name it was? No, it was not Hakalea Taniguchi. It was a young lady named Haley Bridges. Nice enough girl, but Haley already has a car. Still, she wanted to win. She wanted to win badly because she had plans for that car. You know what those plans were? She vowed, Haley Bridges vowed if she won the car, she would hand the keys over to Hakalea Taniguchi. And that is exactly what she did. An act of kindness that had Taniguchi crying tears of joy and pinching herself to make sure this was real and not a dream. But it was real, as real as the bitter cold outside that she would never have to pedal in again, as real as the car trunk that she could now put groceries in, and as real as the two-hour bicycle commute to work that would now take only five minutes. And now you know the rest of the story. I always want to say that. I, I better learn how to do Paul Harvey because I always feel like his voice just needs to put the period on the end of the good news stories. But that's a great story, right? Selfless act. Who are these people that I'm constantly telling you about? I don't know. Maybe we're standing shoulder to shoulder with them some days and we don't even know it. Anyway, that's cool. 
And I've got more good news, this time personal. I talked to my dad over the weekend, and I've mentioned on here a couple of times that my mom tested positive for COVID-19. She was put into isolation for 14 days or something. And of course, communication was slim to none, it seemed like, at least for me. And so your mind just jumps to the worst case scenario. Anyway, I'm pleased to say that my mom is out of isolation. She is COVID free or not testing positive for COVID anymore. I suppose there is a a distinction, a difference. And my dad was able to deliver a Valentine to her just in time, just in time for Valentine's Day, uh, which brought a smile to her face and, of course, a smile to his face, which is a happy ending, but still an awkward ending um, in that, you know, he got to see her smile through a window while he's outside freezing his butt off in the lower teen temperatures, such as life in COVID right now. But we take the win. We take the win. All right, playing with the format today, the podcast is kind of a living, breathing thing, right? Always kind of changing. I think I will save the headlines and punchlines for after the interview, and we'll see how that goes. We'll see if we like that. Let me know, dailydetourpodcast at gmail.com. So here's the deal. Uh, It was August of last year when I was still employed. (laughs) Here's more good news. Uh, There actually are some radio jobs opening up here and there, so... I am applying and we see where that takes us and some podcasting jobs. But in August of last year, I was still employed at uh, ZZU and I was fortunate enough to chat with comedian Lori Kilmartin. Our interview was actually postponed. Uh, It was supposed to be in June, but then, you know, the deal with her mom took place, which she'll talk about, as I mentioned. And I will just say this. I think it's one of the most important interviews that I probably ever recorded but definitely that I got to air last year on the radio. And whether she's talking about uh, her mom's situation or just about anything we talk about, no punches pulled with Lori Kilmartin. Let's get into it right now. Lori Kilmartin is an Emmy-nominated writer for Conan, has appeared on Conan, on Jimmy Kimmel, also the author, uh, a couple of uh, books, uh, author of Dead People Suck, and the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Shitty Moms, and the co-host of the Jackie and Laurie Show podcast, also have the albums uh, 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad, Five Minutes to Myself, which I've been listening to this week, and uh, we're out of time, because that's a lot, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I like that I'm an e- enemy-nominated writer, and I prefer that, actually, oh, no. to, to <laughs> Emmy-nominated. That's exciting. An enemy-nominated writer. Who are your enemies, Laurie? <laughs> and why did they nominate me? Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that's a whole, that's a sketch waiting to happen, maybe. I don't know. That is wild. Well, there's so much to talk about. I could talk to you just because of, well, I just love comedy. I'm kind of a comedy nerd, and I love Conan's show and, and just late night in general. So yeah. that could be the whole discussion right there. Um, but this COVID-19 thing, uh, I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss. You, you lost Thanks. your mother um, in what seems to be, well, we'll get into it a little bit later, but it's one of the great, you know, it's one of the tragedies of, of this whole pandemic situation. Yeah, And then I don't usually talk about, which I think is good, I, d- I don't usually talk about women in comedy. I, I used to always ask, like, well, you know, they say, is there still that stigma? Women aren't funny. Just all the cliches of the past. And I kind of, I don't feel like I've asked about that in, like, three or more, four years when I have female comics on. But lately, and this week especially, like, I checked your Twitter feed yesterday. Mm-hmm. You lit a match and just set Twitter on fire. Uh, there's a lot going on with kind of the, the harassment, but also women, maybe not the, the 
with women getting good gigs, women being uh, given the same treatment as men, the same opportunities. Like, that's still a thing, I guess. And I've fooled myself into thinking that audiences and club owners and corporations have grown up. But I guess maybe they, they haven't so much. I don't know. Well, you know, it's part of the pandemic. I mean, it's taken my... It's taken stand-up from me. You know, I do Zoom stand-up, but it's not the same at all. And it, it feels like, when are clubs going to open and, and, you know, there'll be 50 people seated, you know, 15 feet apart from each other. It's not, it's never going to feel the same. Maybe not for five years. Um, so part of, it's weird, this, there's this other comic named Ted Alexandro, and he's so funny, and he's great. And he's already saying he's retired, just because there is no comedy, right? So part of part of it is like me feeling like, what do I have to lose? Like I'm, you know, I'm 55 and I'm at a, at, at, I'm not at a desirable age for the industry. So why am I still being polite about how crappy it is? You right. know? <laughs> and there there's so there's a, there's a ton of female comics in my generation that we just completely got skipped. Like when we were maybe at our attractiveness prime, <laughs> say, you know, a 35 or whatever, they're like, oh, we don't like female comics. We, you know, we have these two. We're going to keep using over and over again. We're not going to, it's, you know, sorry. And then, then when the industry starts liking female comics, we're in our 40s and 50s and they're like, no, you're too old now. Like we love these 35-year-olds. So in, in particular, our little, our little cohort, cohort of female comics kind of got skipped on both sides of the so-called comedy boom. So it's super frustrating to us. And, and I think when I, like I have a, I recorded a, an, an album at the punchline in San Francisco in November, you know, great crowds, all that. And I just, I also recorded it, um, uh, uh, I, I, uh, with cameras so I could have right. clips to put out to promote the album and then after the pandemic, I said to my manager, well, I have a set that's that shot pretty well in front of an audience and they're going to start running out of special soon because you can't, you, you know, you, not everything can be out, out, outside in Chappelle's backyard. Like they're going to need content soon. And he's like, no, no, they won't take it. If they didn't commission it themselves, they won't take it. And I was like, all right. And then, you know. I'm watching Netflix and like Rob Schneider's special comes up and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, good for him, but th- you know, he, what that guy, you commission that guy who does stand up every seven years. And then, you know, me and other women like me are still out here writing new stuff and working out every single night and, and coming up with new stuff and we can't get anything. And it just drove me yeah. Bananas. And then a, a friend of mine, Tammy Pescatelli, tweeted something about another situation, but kind of a parallel. And I was like, that was all I needed. <laughs> that was and like, the match oh, was lit. What do I care anymore? What do I care anymore? You That's... know, will, will any of these clubs be open in a year? I, I have I'm no so idea. frightened, actually. I'm actually really, I mean, I don't want to go down the depressing uh, road of that already, but I'm really worried about, especially the mom and pop businesses. And I live in a smaller city. Uh, I used to live in Seattle, and there were a lot of, mm-hmm. there were a lot more options for comedy there. I was so thrilled when uh, Spokane Comedy Club opened. And I don't know if you know that it's, uh, they own a, like, uh, yeah. Skyline 
comedy club in Wisconsin, I believe. And the Tacoma Room, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're good people, and it's, you know, and they're nice. Well, I I mean, the Spokane Club is nice, Tacoma Club uh, as well. And so, I don't know, I'm I'm really worried about that and restaurants and just the the whole thing. So I hope we get... But I'm also not... (laughs) I don't believe... uh, I don't believe that capitalism uh, trumps. Uh, and sorry for that word. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe capitalism trumps well-being. Like I mean, like 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 health, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like survival of the species. <laughs> I don't know, but it's it is all tangled together. So I don't know. It's confusing and weird time. Well, it, the thing is, is are when are we going to get to the point where people feel comfortable coming to a club, a comedy club, where you're you by nature you're sitting close together with people, everyone's smashed in. That's part of what makes comedy a lot of fun is yeah. how close you're sitting to people because you the crowd becomes a, a its own animal, you know. And when everyone's spaced far apart, you you just don't have that connectedness to them, and so it's it doesn't feel the same for the comic or the audience. You know, I mean, think of that shows you've been to where it's sold out and there's like this buzz and this hum and then a comic comes out and there's it's just it's magical. Right. Yes. And it's it's not like that on, say, a Tuesday night. I mean, it could be a different kind of magic, but Tuesdays are rarely sold out. Right. So it'll be sparsely attended. But that that'll be the Saturday shows now. <laughs> it'll it. You know, I, I mean, we'll we'll see. But um, it's it it's it's. I, I don't even know what to say. Are you, are you nervous about performing in front of a live audience? And I, I think you're doing just that this coming weekend, aren't you? No, it's weird. I, I went to a show last night and I thought it was an outdoor show and it turned out to be an indoor show. So I, have, I haven't performed in front of a real crowd since March 15th. And it was in like a warehouse and they had an elephant door open. So there was air coming in and out. And I waited outside, and then I went up on stage with two masks and a face shield, because <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, you know, I'm pretty paranoid about COVID. Um, yeah, I read a lot about it. It's and just as I was driving over, the radio station said it estimated one in eight people in Los Angeles has either has has COVID or has symptoms or is asymptomatic. So I was like looking in the room. I'm like, there's like 24 people in here. Okay, three people could kill me right now. So yeah. that's how I approach all these situations. And um, uh, but gosh, it was so fun to perform. Uh, at a when you do stand up on Zoom, it's just your head on a you know yeah. looking into the camera, and you're cutting off. 80% of the vehicle you use to sell jokes, which is your body, how yeah. you stand, how you move. And I didn't, I guess I didn't realize how much I physically use my body to, to get laughs um, until I've been unable to via Zoom. And last night I was, it was like, oh yeah, I, I can, I can move. I can stand, I, I can take a stance. I can, you know, do things that, that actually provide some energy to comedy and and make it a lot funnier so i i mean i i desperately miss that kind of performing it's different it's probably the online equivalent of a of a tuesday night the zoom performances no not even that because <laughs> like a sparsely attended crowd could still be super fun yeah. i mean it just won't be the same magic as a sold out crowd yeah. but it's still you still get to be yourself and in fact because the stakes are so low because it's tuesday and who's going to tell anyone if you bomb right. you often have 
can have more fun shows or 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 come up with more material on the, in the moment because you you don't care at all. You right. know, at least like with a Saturday Night Crowd, you're like, oh, these people paid a lot per ticket. I want to make sure I murder right. So right. you're a little more a little more on your uh, on your on your P's and Q's, I guess is maybe would be the phrase. But on on a on a loosely attended show, you're a little wilder. I think. Right. On I will say this on the Zoom because I've been in attendance of a couple of Zoom uh, comedy shows. Most of them had multiple comics on there, and then they 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 kind of like had some of those comics. Uh, their mics were hot so that they could laugh at the other comedians' jokes, which yeah. sort of helped. Um, but I will say, like b- the choice between a Netflix comedy special that I could watch anytime. You know, or this thing that was only happening at this moment. It's it's a live event, which there's far and few of nowadays. It, it was very intimate, and it still felt sort of communal. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. It was better, like it was better than nothing. Is what it basically comes down to. That's, I think that's how comedians feel too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and we are talking about what exactly is happening right now, which no Netflix special is because they were right. shot beforehand, and and it's a, we're all in such a strange strange world right now that it it feels important to hear funny people talk about it just like you want to hear you know scientists talk about it or whatever you just want to hear some information about this how this this weird life we're all living right now yeah i'm gonna have you uh i don't know what kind of mic you're on right now but uh peas are popping a little bit so if you could move the mic to the left or right or you know what i moved it up a little bit okay Oh, oh there you go is that better yeah yeah okay uh do you worry about people like screen capturing those Zoom perform? You, you kind of mentioned that you, you try out new material uh, on a looser night. Do, do you worry about? I think most of that stuff is. I think only the host has a way to record it from the app. But I mean, I don't know. People are because people are kind of loose and, and vulnerable and off the cuff on some of those Zoom performances. Do you worry about any of that getting out? Um. I don't know. I, you know, it's weird. I was, uh, I, I asked people not to record and I think most people are pretty cool about it. But at yeah. one, one time I was like about three weeks ago, I was telling a joke about my mom and, um, somebody had re- was recording me. And apparently when I started talking about my mom, something darted into the screen, like hovered and darted away. And she posted it later and it looked, it almost, it really looked like, um, my, there's some sort of spirit in the room, you know, listening to that joke and paying attention. Um, so I I was actually kind of glad she recorded that, (laughs) but in general, not the answer I expected (laughs) in general, I would prefer not. I mean, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, put a joke down on, you know, on vinyl, although that's not what it is anymore. And so I feel like. Yeah, it's true. Until I feel like it's finished. Yeah. So to me, if someone's if someone's recording, you know, a B minus version of the joke, like wait, wait, just give me a couple months or a year, and it'll be A plus, and it'll be way funnier. Don't yeah. don't put out the bad version. Okay, please. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You gave me goosebumps. Do you, do you have a pet? Or I do. Oh, I, I hear I, a dog. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> so what, but what was on My the dog was on camera responded. though? Um. Because you would have I, I, seen it, right? It would have been in front of you. It was next to me, I think. And um, uh, you want me to shut the windows? That's up to you. It's. It, I think it adds to the atmosphere of okay. our of our times. You know. Okay. I like that. <laughs> I like that you asked if I had a pet, and my dog responded. That's bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> um, but uh, 
it, 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 two comics, Karen Rontowski, I don't know if you know, you know either of them, or Kira Sotanovich, they also, they, Karen does ghost hunting as well, okay. and, and Kira does card reading, and Karen said it was dust, so I was like, oh, she's, she's kind of like the official ghost lady, so. It was dust? Yeah, but I, but I looked at it again, I'm like, I'm not 100% sure, but... Um, was it like a twister of dust? I mean, it sounds like it was enough to get noticed. Oh, she just thinks I, it was a speck of dust, like, really close to the lens? Maybe, yeah, maybe. That's bizarre. I don't know, maybe I was haunted and she didn't want to tell me, yeah. and my mom was uh, giving me a signal that she didn't, Karen didn't want me to know about. I'm so skeptical about anything like that, but yet I've had my own little experiences... But I'm always mm-hmm. skeptical when I hear some. Not that I'm skeptical of yours right now, but like in general, when people tell me something, I'm like, okay, that sounds a little, you know, whatever. But I mean, then yeah. I remember, oh well, I've had like a similar experience. And then I every October I do this. Uh, I do kind of spooky stories for a month every afternoon, like a couple times. And, oh neat. And I realized. Uh, so my this is really lame, but this is my ghost story. Uh, I was in my uh, uh, place in in Everett, uh, and I was just watching TV. I'm on the couch. My cat is underneath the couch, unbeknownst to me. My wife is in a chair uh, kind of on the other side of the room. And right from the from the hallway, this kind of white light, like, like a ball of light, like white, just hmm. kind of crossed uh, into our kitchen. What? And and I just thought, and so I immediately was like, well, that's that clearly didn't happen. I'm imagining things, <laughs> whatever. That's weird. But then the weird thing is, that my cat shot out from underneath the couch, ran right up to that spot, and just started going bonkers, like no. making noise. And then, and then since I've, um, and so that sort of, to me, that was like a witness, right? The cat's the right. witness. Yeah. And then, uh, and I don't, you know, I love horror movies and mostly horror slash comedy movies. Uh, so I've never really dug into the the quote unquote real life stuff. But as I was doing my my ghost stories for the radio, the ball of light thing is a common theme running through a lot of these stories oh my god yeah so you know it and what's so smart about whatever that is a ghost or an alien is the only witness is an animal that can't speak like right. they they know they're gonna make you look crazy right <laughs> that's right wow. that's their plan we've cracked the code <laughs> oh fantastic so it takes you uh back to comedy that's a nice segue nice sure natural segue uh, so it takes you a long time to craft a joke. Like you get the initial joke, it might be a little funny, but you probably always think that you can make it better, right? And then, then there's a process for that. Yeah, I mean, um, you get the idea. I mean, it, some jokes like they just come to you fully formed, and others take you know five years. Honestly, it's 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 weird. Um, but uh, but yeah, you can kind of tell when it feels finished. You know, when it's when it all slides into place, you got a good punchline, a couple tags, you know, maybe the premise could be expanded, expanded and you could add another another joke. So it becomes more of a chunk. But, um, yeah. How, how do you know when the joke is wrong or the audience is wrong? Like I've you know, so you could tell the same joke at in front of one audience and it kills. So then you like, well, I'm doing this every time. And then the next time it might not do as well. How do you know when it's just the audience or if the joke needs tweaking? I guess it's performing in front of more audiences. You yeah. know, if it's if it's eight times out of ten that the joke works, then it's probably a good joke. Yeah. You know, isn't that a weird um, phenomenon that the yeah. 
I mean, why? It should work every time, right? You can't count on anything. I mean, as a stand-up, you're it's it's always unstable ground that you're walking on, and you're just always hoping you don't step in a hole yeah. and, and fall into it. Yeah. And then, what about the comedians that were the joke? It is the joke, and they just don't realize it's the joke, but everybody else knows it, and they kind of. Uh, you know, they just say that audience sucked or, you know what I mean? Like they might throw a little tantrum or whatever. Yeah. There's, I mean, those guys don't work a lot, but there it's, there's my entire life as a comic. There's always been somebody that insisted they just killed. And you're like, dude, I was in the room. Uh, You did not, (laughs) you did not, you shouldn't be happy right now. You should be frowning and looking into your notebook and, there should be beads of sweat dropping off your forehead. I don't know why you're <laughs> celebrating with a drink. Right. Yeah. I mean, every comedy scene has people like that. Yeah. You know? Well, it's a, I, I could never be that person with anything that I do, but, uh, the, I, you know, ignorance is bliss is the cliche. And <laughs> it would be nice to be that, I think. That's a good way to go through life, maybe. Just thinking everything that you do is great and wonderful. Well, yeah, I mean, I also think, like, people like that are probably not good in a relationship. Like, if you can't hear silence when you're on stage, you probably can't hear your partners trying to tell you. Right. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, Interesting. So, you've done comedy. You're you're a self-described comedy veteran of, I want to say, 30 years, but please correct me if I'm wrong. I started in 87. Don't make me do math, Lori. 33 years, sorry. All right, so how do you go from, uh, you know, your first open mic to doing the Conan show? Like, how did you get to Conan? Well, that was a long journey. I mean, I... um I, I started in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, so I knocked around there for like 10 years, lived with my parents. Then I moved to New York, and I was, you know, there full-time for 10 years. And then... Um, uh, I kind of I went to LA for a different writing job uh, for the Bonnie Hunt show, and then it got canceled. Oh, yeah, okay. Bonnie Hunt, she's great. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I <laughs> or was she? <laughs> I love her on screen in movies. How about that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then um, I I kind of uh, hung around for a year. I had no, you know, just some road income, I guess, maybe six months, and then I got. Uh, uh, hired on Conan in 2010. So um, I did last comic standing in between Bonnie and Conan. Um, and I was a top 10 finalist. And then um, uh, I got Conan in 2010. And so I've been I've been with Conan since then. And, you know, just doing doing road work on my dark weeks, my hiatus weeks and doing stand up in L.A., you know. Yeah, I listened to uh, 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 oh, what's the name of the the, the, the uh, inside Conan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, so, but they joke that uh, everyone jokes about you having a gig later that night. Like <laughs> you have the most gigs. Like there's probably a lot of stand-ups working at the show, but you seem to always have a gig tonight. Is that yeah. true? Well, I, myself and Brian Kylie, he's the other monologue joke writer. We're always we're always at Flappers, uh, <laughs> which is this club in Burbank. Um, yeah, we're always we're always trying to work. For sure. And everyone, speaking of, uh, of it's Mike Sweeney and uh, Jesse Gaskell, Gaskell, right? Gaskell, yeah. Mm-hmm. They sound so nice. Everyone sounds so nice that I hear. Uh, I don't know why that's surprising to me, 
but I just have this image of it's a it's a tense working environment and people are Hollywood and plastic and fake and these people sound like they could be family members to me. Oh yeah, I mean it's very. I've worked on a couple late night shows and a daytime show, and this and the people here are the nicest. And I I I feel like I don't know. There's not this uh, this pressure to compete with each other. Yeah. In, in, I don't know. What I've heard from other late night shows is, or other shows is that it can get kind of political in terms of like office stuff. And there's none of that here. Like, it's it's pretty, you're hired as a writer, you just write. You know, it's not like, oh, and then you can move up to be a producer. And ex-. it's like, no, that's not our hierarchy. So you're just a writer. So you might as well just settle in and write. <laughs> and it, it's it's it it's fun. It takes the pressure off, I, I think. I mean, from what I hear from other people of... Yeah. of the kind of scheming that can happen. Um, there's no, there's no scheming. <laughs> uh, we're, I mean, we're always trying to get, we're always scheming to get our bits on the show, but um, the, the, uh, the other, I think the other thing that really helps our, our show a lot is, um, and again, this is all pre pandemic, but um, for the monologue team, we all, we submit jokes blindly and um, then Conan just picks them and, it's not like anyone's keeping track or counting who got what jokes. And I, I think what, uh, for shows where I've heard that they they post your totals or they, uh. they keep track, it will make you insane. And then you start going, well, this person wrote the same kind of joke as me. It was almost... It was almost word for word the same. Like that happens to us all the time. Yeah. And how come that person got credit and not me? And then you're going to spend energy worrying about that. And instead, it's like no one, no one cares. As long as the monologue's funny, um, they're happy. You know. Um, yeah. And they and they know us. They know we're good joke writers. And you, everyone needs to have a be protected if they have a bad day and not feel like they're going to lose their job. You know. So um, to to me, I, I feel like that that's. Um, I haven't heard other shows are like that. I remember someone who re- who's a head writer on another show at the time said, well, how do you know who's who's doing a good job? Yeah. And it's like, I think he assu- he knows us, so he assumes we're always doing a good job. And and you might have a bad day or something, but I, th- I think, you know, I don't know. They, they kind of trust us. A yeah. Bit. So I mean, um, do you get so do you get uh, pats on the back, compliments uh, if something went well, or or you just know that it went? I mean, the the, the well, fact that it got on the air is the pat on the back. For the monologue, um, now there's just two of us. It's myself and Brian Kylie. So, you know, if I didn't write the joke, Brian did. Right. So I know, you know, I, if if it's a great joke, I'm like, dang, hats off to that on that one. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll do the same, you know. So um, it's but uh, there there are times when. We're, you know, there's, there used to be three or four of us writing the monologue and we'd all be, you know, we're all animals eating the same carcass in terms of a new story. And one of us came up with a great, a great joke and the others of us came up with average jokes. So you, at, at that point, we, it's like, God, who wrote that one? That's brilliant. You know, um, so it's more of a professional, dang, I wish I had done that kind yeah. of a thing than uh, you asked, you know, you, you did it better than me and now you're going to get a raise. That's not how, that's not how it works. What is a, without, you don't have to name names, but is there a horror story that stands out to you of some scheming or some just things that, that you didn't think were very cool that happened at other shows? Um, I, I, I think the earlier example of, of like 
people, somebody posting how many jokes each yeah. reader got on is pretty horrific. That doesn't make you write better. No. It doesn't, even the person that wrote the most jokes, that doesn't make them write better the next day. That makes them go, oh my God, I got to win again. It, it doesn't yeah. make you make the show funnier. So to me, that's like, um, if, if that's what someone's top priority is, then the priorities are wrong across the board right. on that show. You have to be loose and relaxed and happy, or if not happy, like just have a clear head to do yeah. anything creative. And if yeah. you're worried about something like that, that just tightens up the muscle. Exactly. You, you do have to be loose, and it's hard enough to be loose anyway, just as a yeah. human being. Yes. So <laughs> especially to now. have... Yeah, to have that extra stuff going on that that is unnecessary coming from the show. I mean, you're going to have stuff from your personal life that weighs in on you and you have to try to leave it at the door. But to, to have it come at you from within a show, is is it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like it, it's not helping anybody, you know? Yeah. So you've, uh, with, with some other uh, mom comics, wrote a book called uh, Shitty Moms, which on spec when I saw the title, because I know that you've, you joked about your mom uh, in the past and your relationship, and so I thought it was like the title was about the mom, right? But really, it's sort of a, an advice book, isn't it, for for moms? Yeah, yeah. Just to, it's it's called Shitty Mom. It's one singular. Okay. And um, the three other women are they hired me to write it, so it it's it, we're all listed as co-author. We had a bad breakup, so I'm telling the truth. About okay. It. But oh, <laughs> but, <wow. laughs> but um, yeah, so they didn't write a word. They wrote the title Shitty Mom, and then I'm the comedy writer that they hired to write it. Um, and, they contributed uh, something, though, right? For you to interpret, and then you kind of go just through the, it. Literally something. just the title. Well, you it, should have taken all of it, though. You should have only your name. Wow, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't want to... I, I signed a contract. Yeah, I signed a contract. I mean, it's basically ghostwriting, but your name's on the cover. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and then the way they sold it, it was like, oh, these four moms are friends, and they wrote a book together. Yeah. And uh, it kind of made it seem like, uh, you know, uh, it may be more, pe- hopefully more appealing to women that would buy it, you know, like, yeah. oh, these, oh, we have four points of view, but it's really just one point of view of mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I wonder still, whatever could have led to the bad breakup. I don't understand. <laughs> um, they wanted to do a sequel too quickly, and I had written every possible story I could come up with. And I'm like, I need two years. My, uh, you know, my kid is five. Give me a couple more years of experience with a child. I, I, I'm out of stories. And it was like, no, we need it. And so I, um, I, I didn't want to. And so they hired somebody else to write the sequel. Yeah. That, and it didn't do very well. And uh, so there you go. Uh, and your name was not on the sequel. My on, name's on the, not on the yeah. sequel. And this, the, uh, the potential franchise ended at that yeah. point. I don't I was know like, why you guys that's threw hilarious. away millions of dollars potentially. You know? The idea that the people who didn't put a word into the book other than the title are ready for a sequel and are, and are upset that the writer is not ready. Like, that just <laughs> seems absurd to me. That is surreal. I know. Just like be, people don't need another book immediately either. Like, they can read a book and rest for a couple. You don't have to yeah. immediately provide a sequel to people. They're good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what, we have a lot of moms listening, though. What are some uh, advi- What are some tips that stand out or stories from the book that stand out to you that my listeners might relate to? 
at the I mall. haven't, you know what? I haven't looked at it in a long time, but I do. The one thing I, I remember that I tell parents of newborns is get a box fan that makes a lot of noise, put it in your bedroom and turn it up so that you can't hear your child cry at night. Because mostly you don't need to go run to the infant at three in the morning, right? Okay. Let let them figure out how to soothe themselves. And you, as a mom, you need your sleep. It's precious. That that makes you able to function the next day at work, at, as a parent, as just a person. You need your sleep. And your kid will be fine. So get a box fan. It'll drown out their cries and get a good night's sleep. That's a good tip. I've never heard that. I've heard that's basically white noise, but you usually hear about the white noise being for the child, not the parent. So white I- noise is not enough. You need, <laughs> and, and, you know, get get two fans. Like yeah. you can have a windstorm in your bedroom, but turn them all the way up and drown out that child. Okay. <laughs> uh, this was interesting in your comedy special. I don't even know why. I'm. This is not. This is another unnatural segue. Okay. But you said that you once had a roommate. That was a prostitute. Is that true? <laughs> oh, wow. That's an old one. Yeah, that is true. I think, what was that? I had a roommate who was a prostitute and a temp. That's how expensive New York City is. <laughs> Turning tricks isn't enough money. You have to know Word and Excel. That's right. That's that joke. That's yeah, true. When I first moved to New York, um, she was, uh, she like, this is like 98 or 99. So she, at that point it was, there were still print newspapers. And so she posted ads in the village voice and I think in backstage as well, but she was, um, kind of, uh, she was, um, like a vegan sort of natural kind of girl. And so it, so she, that was her type and certain kind of guys really liked that type. Um, so that was that she would just go make some extra rent money that way. And she led her own life. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't do it, but I respected it. Did, so were you already roommates when she started that? I think she was always doing that. Like she never brought anyone home, you know? Oh, that would be, Um, that seems like a deal breaker for most people. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she was pretty professional about it. <laughs> As the, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's just so interesting. I mean, people, you just never, like, that is something I never expected to, to hear and, and have. But that's a story. I mean, there's got to be a lot of stories like that. I don't know. People are just so, I love talking to people because there's just so much interesting stuff out there, stories that you've never thought of, you know? Yeah. And, and how they choose to live their lives, and you're like, I guess that works. Uh, it well, wouldn't be weird, what I would do, but yeah. It's a weird thing, too, because I'm not exactly sure why it's illegal, other than health concerns I get, but it, there seems to be other ways to uh, deal with that. I don't know. It's it's such, it's such a I, strange thing, because it's like... At the, on take the money out of it. It's just it's what everybody else seems to be doing on Tinder or or whatever. You I know. know, and they they tend to only arrest the women and not the guys. And yeah. it's just like what, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Like spend your energy. It's it's like with you know getting competitive with the, with jokes on the show. Spend your energy someplace else. Right. This isn't this isn't where you need to worry about things. Right. So odd. Back to women in comedy. This caught my attention. I'm going to pull the pin on this grenade. Okay. Uh, and then I'll explain a little more if you don't know who this person is, because it's I don't think it's as bad as it sounds. But the, the headline, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is what she's been tweeting about. This is what Lori Kilmartin's been tweeting about. Uh, a woman who got famous lip syncing to President Trump on TikTok 
just landed her own Netflix comedy special. Okay, um, her name's Sarah Cooper. She's a stand-up. Okay. Um, so she, that's fine with me. That's the thing. It's funny because the initial tweet a friend of mine tweeted was based on misinformation about Sarah. She didn't know Sarah was a stand-up. Yeah. And uh, but that kind of triggered my Rob Schneider. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> attack. But uh, <laughs> but no, Sarah's she's a stand-up in New York, and she's very funny, and she she kind of came up. I don't know if you've seen the the lip syncing, but it's actually pretty brilliant. She um, the way she acts it out and edits, yeah. they're very very funny, and that's almost the only way I can listen to Trump right now oh, um, yeah. is to see it through her lens. So uh, I have uh, that's cool. That's great. I'm I'm for any comic getting stuff, and especially if you know you just. I think she just sort of, you know, she just did it on a whim and it just caught fire. And I think we all would love to have have come up with something that puts us on people's radar. I mean, that's what we're always trying to do. So I I think it's great. And you never know. You never know. There was a story I had yesterday about uh, there's a guy that did a dramatic trailer like uh, produced a trailer up. It sounded pretty good uh, with. I mean, I didn't see it, but I heard the act. Yeah, I heard it. Um, and it was a dramatic, gritty, uh, serious version of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, <laughs> and That's and awesome. Will Smith saw it and loved it. And now they're developing this drama called Bel Air. No. Yeah. So you never know. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm 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 very happy for Sarah, you know, and I I I just hope it leads to more opportunities for more female stand-ups. Like anytime a female stand-up gets something, I feel like that pushes the door open a teeny bit further for the rest of us. Part of your your Twitter fire was also, I mean, we could talk about the 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 creeps, but I also wonder. Uh, well, you've already addressed it that you are you know you're a certain age. You're kind of not worried about repercussions from anything that you throw out there you're kind of like you know what the fuck but like if i did that there's definitely repercussions even at my age i don't know do you feel safer because you're writing monologue jokes that are sort of similar like there's just a there's a different environment at a late night tv show than there would be Oh, I, job. this is, I can only tweet like this because I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> let me, let me just state, if I was a touring comic, I would keep my mouth shut. Um, and that was, that was my only income, but I have a, I have a writing job. And, um, so I haven't, I, um, I, you know, the thing I do stand up is just, it's dead right now. And I, and I hope it gets, I hope it gets rebuilt in a different way when it comes back, yeah. you know? Um, so part of, part of the, the not fe- fearlessness, I guess, is that, you know, I have a job. I'm, I'm as safe as you can be in, in this economy. And um, I'm also, no one pays attention to me. Well, I don't, I don't know if <laughs> I that's mean, true. But. but I mean, in terms of like, you know, I, there's some other comics I think might agree, but they don't want to anger any executives who might give them something. And I'm like, well, they're not giving me anything anyway. So fuck yeah. them. I will anger them if, if they even care that I said it yeah. or if they're like, Oh, that old hag's tweeting again. Okay. Oh. You know, I mean, I, I, I really don't know, but I have nothing to lose in terms of, um, uh, industry stuff because they're not giving me anything. I like, it's weird. I, I did a special about my dad dying 
in 2016. And it was like, it was listed in Vulture's top 10 specials of 2016. And it was sold to CISO. And the CISO license expired in December of last year. And we haven't been able to find a home for it. You know, like you would think now, uh, like people are dying (laughs) all over the place. Everyone's dads are dying because of COVID. Here's a special about hospice and all that. And uh, my my own mom died and there was like a ton of publicity about it because I was tweeting about it. You think of all times, maybe this would be the time someone would go, hey, let's let's take that special that's already made. Like we don't have to do anything. We just have to actually put it on our hard drive and stream it out. You know, and that's not even happening. So I'm like, oh, everyone, just this industry hates me. That's what it feels like. Or maybe they or they don't hate because then you'd actually have to have a feeling about somebody. They just don't care. And so if they don't care, why why am I trying to be careful not to offend um, an executive at a streaming network that doesn't care that I'm alive or have, you know, anything to contribute? Why? Yeah. Well, there's other avid. I mean, there's Amazon. There's other avenues out there. But yeah, you would think you already have something in the can. It just needs to be uploaded. Yeah, I mean, we we might be close on something, or else I I, I was oh, trying to good. like just. But it was like, why is this taking so long? It's a right. no brainer. It's a slam dunk. Put it up. You have n- you don't have to do anything. You don't have to yeah. edit it. You don't have to do anything. Just put it up and just let people come to it if they want to. Yeah. Well. So it sounds like something is happening, though. So that's the good news. I, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I used to work with a band, and uh, we were great about getting press. People are, especially in this uh, skeleton crew, you know, work environment that we've been in for a long time, and it's worse during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. If you write, like, if you write up your own press release like a story, like it's already, not just like, here's the bullet points for you, Mr. Reporter. Like, if you write it as if it's a story... I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, they will just run it. Like, really? As is. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of frightening, but when you're on the other side of... Like, as a as a broadcaster slash... I guess you could call me a journalist. Um, that It's kind of scary to me, but as someone on the other end of it, wanting to get this band in the, in the you know, media or whatever, yeah. I, it was amazing. I'm like, well, this is crazy. Like, this is fantastic. Let's keep doing this. More of this. <laughs> oh, my wife's in the kitchen. She just said she does the same thing for business. Oh really? Yeah, she's That's in marketing. Great. So yeah, so that would be my advice. I don't know who does that, or if if you want to do that, or do it, or you have someone that can do that for you. But yeah, if you write it prepackaged, they will grab it. Speaking of prepackaging, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh man, you're the king of segues. I'm excited to see where this is going. <laughs> this is the most. Well, the problem is, I'm usually this is the most scattered interview I've done in a long time. But it's because I booked you on in early June, and yeah. I just want to talk about your comedy and the Conan show and monologue writing and all that stuff. Uh, and then COVID uh, entered your world in a very real way. Yeah. Um, and so then I'm like, well, now I want to talk to her about that because it's... It, it, and since then, by the way, it's hit... Friends of mine have ended up in the hospital, former really? co-workers. Yeah. So I just wow. feel like it's encroaching on me. And then the last night, there's the, there's this whole other angle to talk about with, with uh, women in comedy. So oh, yeah. I'm a little scattered this morning. That's okay. So you you talked about the special about your dad. So you've mm-hmm. been down this road in a way before where you're making jokes uh, about a subject that most of us spend our lives avoiding talking about, whether we realize it or not. I mean, there's you know psychologists that'll say pretty much everything we're doing is just to distract us from the fact that uh, we're going to die someday and we don't want to think about that. 
So, um, so you've been down this road with your dad with the 45 jokes about my dead dad, which I listened to. It's very funny and also unnerving. And, uns- and you can even hear the audience. Oh, the yeah. audience is with you, but then every once in a while, it's, too, it's just too much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and then, so then your mom, and your mom was, how was your mom prior to going to uh, like a rehab facility or, or she she lived with me and uh, she was eighty two and you know you know how old people are <laughs> they can be hard to live with yeah um, and she had to go to the hospital for shortness of breath and um, then they sent her to a skilled nursing facility because she had grown so weak in the hospital that she couldn't lift herself up off the toilet. And they were like, we don't want to send her home till she can do that. And I was like, that's fine with me. I don't want to be lifting her off the toilet. Um, right. So she was at this place um, in uh, Highland Park in Southern California. And, um, you know, they had they had a COVID outbreak and it moved so quickly through nursing homes. It's unbelievable. And I, and I was actually, I was shocked because I thought, okay, this isn't March. Like, they know what to do now. We know all the safety precautions you're supposed to take. Like, I I just didn't think it would still be whipping through nursing homes like that. You know, especially in California, because California had done so well for a while. And this was, like, June June 2nd, I think. So it wasn't the, the, the... The new wave that took California to being one of the worst states hadn't come yet, you know? Yeah. And it was still sort of this, wow, California did so well. So um, I, I didn't, I was semi-worried, but I figured, oh, well, I'm sure they have this under control now, you know, but obviously I was wrong. Yeah. And you live tweeted for like a, a week kind of, or whatever, like it was more yeah. than just that day. I mean, it was kind of leading up to it. and Yeah, it took a week. She, she, um, the, the, um nursing facility called me on the 11th june 11th thursday and said we we sent your mom to the hospital and then when she got to the hospital they did the covid test and she was she tested positive so it was like maybe i think she had tested negative on that monday the nursing home was testing all the time Mm -hmm. so sometime in those in that two or three day period she got it um so in theory they're doing what they think like what we think they're supposed to be doing if they're testing all the time, but it t- yeah, didn't but take long to spread, did it? You you know, as a as a as a caretaker, you can't check. We're not allowed in the nursing homes. Like yeah. my mom was telling me, this place is awful. But but then it, again, she always said that about a nursing home. And I think you know she would go in for like hip replacement and then get yeah. get, get uh, rehab and stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, nursing homes suck. Even when they're you're just there for a week, they're they're still awful. For the most part, but I could visit her and this one I couldn't, I couldn't check on her. I didn't, I, you know, she'd say, oh, this is happening and that's happening, but she was also sort of out of it. So I, I didn't know if she was accurate or not. And even if she was, I couldn't do anything about it, but, you know, talk to a nurse and double check. And so, uh, that, that kind of, that, that part of COVID really makes it hard for you as an adult child to monitor the situation with your parents, you know, or your grandparents, whatever, um, is you can't even you can't even walk into a hospital or a nursing facility and check and make sure right they're being cared for properly, you know, absent the COVID, you know, which may or may not be at that point a make or break for the patient if they have COVID, you know, but it, it but it certainly uh, it does have an impact when you can see your loved ones 
Uh, and certainly, if it's your last date, I mean, everyone wants to see each other a final time. Oh, yeah. I mean, COVID, t- the Atlantic wrote a great article about this, but she didn't get to do her last words. Like she, by the time they had diagnosed her, she was unconscious and, you know, she was elderly and in poor health <clears throat> anyway. So I'm, I'm, she might not have lived past this year anyway, Yeah. but the way COVID sort of just clawed her away from us and just, and basically put her under and then from then on, we just sort of watched it all unfold on the iPad, my sister and I. We got to visit her once for about an hour and a half. And um, Over the we iPad were, or? No, in person. In person. We, we, we lobbied because the hospital wasn't allowing visitors. And uh, we did some very intense lobbying. They let us in. We, you know, we each put on a couple masks, too, and a face guard and um, like a plastic dress that covered us and... Uh, gloves and everything and then um you know spent time with our mom she kind of she indicated I I think she knew we were there because prior to this she'd just been laying down and we would just see her on the iPad she'd just be sort of you know motionless and when we were there she she kind of like tried to sit up and she fluttered her eyes open for a second so I, my sister and I both think that she knew we were there and we just talked to her and played music and, you know, we stayed as long as they let us stay. And then after we were supposed to be there an hour and I think they let us stay about 90 minutes and uh, then they, you know, knocked and then we left and that was the last time I saw her in person. Uh, you know, and even then, like you can't, I, when I was holding her hand, I was still wearing plastic, Right. So it, for her, I, I'm just like, she doesn't even get skin on skin contact the last moments of her life. And, uh, you know, even when I'm, I was, I tried to hug her, but I've got the face shield on and the doctor's saying, cause she's breathing out of her mouth. This, that's, that makes the dose of COVID that she's exhaling extra, extra, uh, strong, I guess, you know, virulent or whatever, yeah. um, as opposed to nose breathing. So, you know, you're walking in this room and it's you you feel like you're in a covid rainforest and I don't want to get it. You know, I don't know if it would kill me or not, but I don't even want, you know, if you Google, if you look at long term covid, that hashtag people describing what it's like and some of them are still having, um, you know, dramatic uh, repercussions months later. I'm like, I don't don't want that. (laughs) And I know my mom wouldn't want my sister and I to get COVID just so we could say goodbye to her. Right. But on the other hand, like, come on, we got to, you know, we got to do something. So it, we, we, neither of us have tested positive since, and it's been like two months. So, you know, but still it was, um, it was very powerful to be able to physically be with her, even though we had all these uh, safety precautions happening. And um, a lot of families are being robbed of that. That's, it's so awful. I mean, we were really lucky that my mom was sent to a hospital that again, it was like, this is like mid June. So California wasn't being pummeled. So they, they had the staff available to help us get prepared to go see her. You know, it it takes a lot for a hospital to prepare a visitor to go see somebody now. So we were lucky in that they weren't overwhelmed. We were also lucky that they were a hotspot in March. So they knew what to do. You know, and I, I think a lot of hospitals aren't in that situation and they're getting they get slammed and they can barely deal with all the patients and they can't always they can't also have each patient having two visitors, <laughs> you know, so those families are are um, are stuck. You know, you're at the mercy of whoever, whatever hospital um, 
employee can hold an iPad up to your loved one's face. Right. So, you know, again, like we were really lucky that this hospital kind of had, they had a system. They, they had an iPad per room and one patient per room. So we were able to leave my mom on for like almost 70 hours straight at one point until she died. So, uh, you know, other people aren't even getting that. Yeah, you talked about that it was somewhere when I was listening. Uh, I mean, this, you know, there's so many things that go into this that affect how, like whether people get care or good care. Um, yeah. And then there's this hierarchy, you know, like if you're not a family that can afford uh, some of this technology, yeah. then your situation's even more tragic. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we happen to have Apple products at my house, uh, but the, you know, the hospital we were at, they were using FaceTime, that's Apple proprietary pro- uh, app, so you have to have an iPhone or an iPad to to communicate with that person. Yeah. I, I don't know what every hospital's doing, but if you, you know, if you're all in on, you know, Samsung products, you're kind of screwed. That that means you've got to borrow or pay for something else. And yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and this is all at the last minute too. This is all like, you don't know if your loved one's going to die tonight or tomorrow, but you got to get an iPad immediately, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's um, a lot. Yeah. Uh, so you live tweeted uh, a lot of this, and uh, just you know, and you're a comedian. There's some very uh, poignant tweets, you know, the kind that mm-hmm. anyone might write, uh, just so people. But you also wrote some very funny things, which most people uh, wouldn't have the wherewithal to, to bring out of themselves at that moment, um, and it might be jarring to people. Uh, I wanted to share a few of them. Okay. And I already I, forgot them all. So oh, okay. So if I even gave you, because I can read them verbatim or I could give you a keyword and you can. Like, I, I, yeah, I already forgot them all. Okay. Uh, you said, I love this, and it's kind of subtle in a, in a way, but you said, I just left a one star Yelp review of the skilled nursing facility where mom <laughs> caught COVID 19. I did. <laughs> oh, you really did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I think I put my mom caught COVID here and died, so I would not recommend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You said, my sister and I are both heartbroken that mom's last words to us were complaints about the nursing home and not about our appearance. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, moms are always, they don't like your hair, they wish you had bangs. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, inadvertently, I think if she'd known, she probably would have uh, told us she didn't like the blouses we were wearing or something. I think a lot of children can relate to that, especially daughters, I would say. Yes, for sure. Uh, You said, thank you... (laughs) (laughs) This is so good. You said, thank you for sending love to my mom, but really it's my dead dad who needs your thoughts and prayers. I'm sure he thought he'd get a few more years to himself. (laughs) I always, I always figured my dad is if there's heaven and all that, he's just surrounded by all of his dogs and watching mastery runs. Um, And my mom was always interrupting the mash reruns to ask him to do something for her. So (laughs) that's over. Oh, well, dad. (laughs) Oh, dad needed a DVR on the pause button. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And then there were just some really uh, point, you know, there's some good advice in here uh, as well. Um, A practical tip. If your loved one is hospitalized during COVID, you need two phone lines, one for FaceTime or I suppose whatever app it will work in that situation. Uh, and one to call the nurse station to ask for things like water and chapstick. Yeah, that is true. Um, I, I didn't realize I could call from my phone while we were using it for FaceTime. So we would use my sister's phone line to call 
you know, just if we noticed my mom seemed uncomfortable and stuff like that. But I mean, that's stuff you would do in person at the hospital is, you know, you're watching your loved one and, and you run to the nurse's station and say, hey, we need the, we, I think we need these things or someone needs to come check her out. So you're sort of doing that from your house. This one is heartbreaking. Uh oh. Yeah. I think it's heartbreaking. You said the nurse is stroking mom's hair, which I would be doing if I were there. Yeah. I mean, I was able to at some point, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Just things you don't... I don't know. That's just a whole new world, you know? The things, yeah. you, things you don't think about, and now, you know, this is the reality. Um, and then this was... I mean, this was after the fact of your mom's passing. We're sitting at the kitchen table. The hospital is letting us FaceTime with mom's body for one final hour. She looks beautiful next to a window, her cheekbones basking in what little sun there is today in Southern California. Yeah, I mean, um, she was in a, a room that had a window, you know, and uh, she she did look quite beautiful, you know, and we just kind of sat and hung out. We had, when my dad died, he died at home, and so we stayed with my dad's body overnight, and we watched the Oscars with his body, <laughs> And it was really um, helpful. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. It, it was it was really helpful. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That's yeah. I mean, there's there's humor in that. Uh, that's cool though. Uh, d- d- finish your thought. I'm sorry. No, I mean, you know, um, I talked about it in my book and my special, so I'm like, oh, I'm over that topic. But but yeah, we did. It was he he died on on a Sunday morning. It was Oscars at night, and uh, and uh, so we just kind of hung out and. Um, it was really helpful because the next day, you know, when my sister and my mom and I woke up, my dad's body looked very different. It didn't look like him anymore. Like for a couple hours, you know, maybe 12 hours after they die, they still look pink and like themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. they still like they're like they have blood in them and they're full that they're just asleep. And I think to have someone wheeled out (laughs) and put in a body bag when they look like they're asleep is very distressing. And it's a little less so when the next day where, he's obviously dead and he's not in his body anymore. And it, he just, you know, whatever start, whatever starts happening to someone's body when they're no longer alive, it it started to happen. And it it was obviously quite devastating to see him still put in a body bag and rolled out. But, um, I didn't feel like I was putting a live person in there that was going to, you know, wake up in a coffin and start screaming. (laughs) (laughs) That's my, that's my fear. (laughs) Yeah. So with, you know, with my mom, uh, we just, that was our tradition now is to sit with our dead parents' body. So, you know, that she died and the hospital, no one from the hospital came into the room. Uh, I'm sure they knew, I'm sure, you know, but they, they also knew we were on the iPad watching her. So they just left us, left us alone for a little while. And then they, then they came in and, and asked if we needed more time. And again, we were we were highly privileged that they weren't being slammed. They didn't need the room immediately, you know. I mean, I I saw some footage out of McAllen, Texas, where you know there's COVID patients sitting in chairs next to each other. They're putting someone in a body bag, you know. Like it it it, it was it was just like get this body out of here. We need to put this person in the bed, you know. And we were really lucky that um, timing wise, we weren't in that kind of a rushed situation. Right. So we were just able to, 
you know, sit with my mom. Um, uh, she was on my kitchen table and on the iPad, her image and my sister and I, and, and, uh, my son kind of hung out with her and, uh, you know, until they, till they said, okay, we're ready to do that. And, and then, uh, it was the strangest thing of, you know, them saying, okay, are you ready? And we said yes. And then they turned off FaceTime and, you know, FaceTime makes that little noise Yeah. and to, um, you know, hear that noise. And then my mom, my mom has disappeared. She's not in my life anymore. And my screen full of apps comes back. And it, it was, it was so jarring and strange to, to have that be the end of her life for me. Yeah, that's, that is, it's like some, I don't even know what to say to that. That's, that's also heartbreaking and probably being played out all over the place right now. Yeah. And feels like a scene out of some, you know, uh, episode of, of, of Black Mirror or Twilight yeah. Zone or something. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, that's, that's the hardest part is how, how, you know, like she was 82 and she was in bad health, but how, how she died was, is really like the thing I feel like haunts me, yeah. you know, ver, you know, she probably would have had a heart attack <laughs> at the house, you know, had she come back because she really was not in good shape. And the fact that it was so, it's such a sterile, far away environment. Um, and, and we weren't able to hug her or hug her body you know, even afterwards, they're still contagious. Like you can't, oh, yeah. you know, the, so, yeah. So, uh, what, and I know you've addressed this on, on Twitter as well. Um, it's very strange to me, this whole, how this whole wear a mask thing has been politicized. And I had a friend I hadn't talked to since this whole thing began and we weren't face to face. We were over, uh, we were over like a zoom type situation. And I, and I made that exact comment. I just I can't believe this is. And we both have the same friend in common that was put that spent time in ICU because of COVID. And I said, you know, I can't believe it's been politicized. He's like, I can. He's like, I mean, I don't want. I'm not mean this in a bad way or whatever. But uh, you know, I, I love my freedom. I don't want to be told what to do. And I just couldn't believe these words were coming out of his mouth. Of the last four years, <laughs> the things that I worry about in regards to my freedom, putting on a yeah. mask, is like the least of my worries. It's it's all about having empathy for others and trying to protect them and protect you. And by the way, getting back to work so we can enjoy our freedoms. I know. I don't like to be told what to do either. I'm a comic. I don't yeah. like anyone oh, yeah. telling me what to do. I don't like wearing a mask. I don't like it. Yeah. But it's saving my life. Right. And, um, you know, from what we're being told, if everyone in the United States hunkered down for like two months, stayed inside, people got paid to not work, you know, just so your basic needs are being taken care of, we just pause everything, pause rents, pause mortgages, pause, just pause. Right. Everyone stays home. This is done. Okay, kids go back to school. Everyone goes back to work. We're back in nightclubs. We're back having. We're back to our lives. I I don't want to do it either, but the other option is what's happening now, which is everything's awful. Yeah, those are our two options right now. Yeah, and people keep dying, you know. And COVID's going to run out of old people at some point, and it's going to start coming after us. Right, <laughs> you know. Well, so, it is. There are younger yeah. people. There are children getting it now. Yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, no one likes to be told what to do, 
But right. it's like we have a, a couple options and they all suck. But right. the one that sucks the least is to wear a mask when you go outdoors and stay inside for about two months. That's it. It's pretty simple. Yeah. It sucks the least. It sucks way less than dying. It sucks way less than having everything closed. It sucks way less than people being afraid to be near each other. So they're not going to go to restaurants, you know, or they're or they're not going to they don't want to be part of a super spreader event. You know, it sucks the least. That's it. Just do it. You said yesterday, one of your tweets from this is back in June again, you said yesterday I spent over an hour in a room full of COVID droplets, a rainforest of Corona. Yes, I wore PPE, but who knows? If you hate masks and love freedom, DM me your address because I want to give you a hug. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. I would love to give a, a non-mask. If I get COVID, believe me, I'm going on a hugging spree. I, yeah. will, uh, I will touch everyone I see who's not in a mask. I will. That's my vow. I'll bring as many people down with me. We had a co- I have a coworker in Sturgis this week. Today I heard they were having a sneezing contest. Wow. So, anyway. Wow. I don't know what to say. I'm a nervous I mean, Nelly, Lori. <laughs> people are, you know, people are are ornery and it seems like like I, I when I read stories about people who think that Corona was a hoax and then they got it or their parent got it and they're like, oh, now I realize everyone wear a mask. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, oh, that sucks. But it's it, it's going to take I think it, that might be what it takes for most of the country to do this is you have to lose a family member. Like, does your mom have to die before you realize that it's real? I hope not, but if that's what it takes, I guess that's going to, that's, I mean, my mom's already done. I'm done. Like, as far as I'm concerned, I've lost all the people that I'm worried about. Right. You know, it's sad because I think we have this sort of ideal of individualism, but if we're not alive, we're not that individual. Right. (laughs) Right? We do have to, we do have to stay alive to be our rugged individualistic selves. That's right. All right, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna close it there. I wish I had a more uplifting place to end it. But, uh, <laughs> it's it's not uplifting times. We're in a pandemic, Dan. It's bad. I, I know. Well, that's the other. Thing. It's planet wide. Okay, so it's not yeah. just about the good old U.S. of A. You know, which I don't. I feel some people overlook as well. But I won't. That's. I'll just say that. Thank you so much for your time uh, today, and thank you for sharing your story, which I think is an important one because. It's uh, it could be everyone's. It could be anyone's story, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, and good luck with the with the special. I, I hope I see it pop up on the stream somewhere. Yeah, me too. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> All right, thanks, Lori. Have a good one. Okay, thanks you too. Bye. Bye. There you have it, Lori Kilmartin. You can find some of her stand up on the uh, Amazon Music app. Uh, you'll find her podcast there as well, and that book, Shitty Mom. Have that delivered right to your door via UPS or FedEx or however it gets there. Carrier pigeon. I don't know. Drone. And once again, thanks to uh, KZZU for allowing me to share that with you. They could have said, no, it's ours. Uh, But they were very cool and very kind to to allow me to do that. Let's get into it before we get out of here. Headlines and punchlines, starting with the news. The second impeachment trial of former President Donald J. Trump ended over the weekend with 57 guilty votes to only 43 not guilty votes. Which means Mr. Trump was acquitted, of course, because impeachments have a worse scoring system than soccer. After the trial, Mitch McConnell took the opportunity to gloat and say that 
Well, this settles the matter and vindicates to President Trump proving he had no responsibility in the insurrection at the Capitol. No, he didn't say any of that. Uh, he actually said that Trump was responsible for all of it. This after he gave his own not guilty verdict. McConnell says, yeah, oh, he's totally to blame. Quote, unquote, former President Trump's actions that preceded the riot were a disgraceful dereliction of duty. Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. Well, gosh, if only there was some mechanism in place to reprimand someone for such behavior. If only there was a way to make sure that person could never run for office again and jeopardize the American way of life as we know it again. Oh, well, what's on TV tonight? Take away the pain, Netflix. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I feel the, I feel the urge to light myself on fire dissipating. Thank God for distractions. Uh, you keep hearing this, Joe Biden being called a wartime president because of the daunting challenges of the pandemic. And I get the analogy, but one key difference is that cities in the middle of being bombed aren't usually begging to be reopened. They're not dropping bombs over here. Let's, can we open over here? All right, but just 25%. The enemy is all around. But I think you'll be okay if you just let a quarter of the people in this building. The CDC saying that in-person schooling can resume safely with masks, social distancing, and other strategies, such as stuffing students in lockers. And vaccination of teachers, while important, is not a prerequisite for reopening. That's got to be very comforting for teachers. I guess that's what substitutes are for. Teachers passed out! Carl, get in here! Substitute time. Uh, Ma'am, Carl passed out. Well, put the TA in charge then. And I thought this was interesting. Uh, Royal Dutch Shell aims to cut production of gasoline and diesel fuel by 55% over the next decade, which is perfect for hybrid drivers because they only use about 50% of the stuff anyway. Shell plans to increase its network of electric vehicle charging stations to about 500,000 by 2025, which is when Fox News will finally break the news to its viewers. My wife says it's very sobering today, so let's let's get on to the real silly stuff from Hollyweird. The Daytona 500 was this weekend. Only about 30,000 people got to attend. The rest of the stands were filled by life-sized car air fresheners with fans' faces on them. And I myself got into the spirit by uh, plastering sponsorships all over our vehicle and flipping it over in the driveway. Hustler Magazine founder Larry Flint has passed away. Much like the magazine centerfolds, his ashes will be spread. Unless he's buried, in which case he'll be sporting wood. Justin Timberlake has publicly apologized to Britney Spears. I don't know if you've seen that uh, documentary, Framing Britney. It's on Hulu. It's from the New York Times. Maybe you can find it elsewhere as well. Uh, It's got everybody talking. And uh, watching it, you're reminded that uh, back in the day, Timberlake implied on a radio show that he took Britney's virginity. Also ridiculed her in his Crimea River video. So now he's publicly apologizing, which is how you do things. Now, you don't call the person up. You you apologize uh, to the world, and then you hope they get the message. Timberlake also apologized for not speaking up to support Janet Jackson, who paid a much heavier price than he did for the Super Bowl Nipplegate scandal. Remember that? And by much heavier price, I mean she got canceled... And he got to keep making music. However, he did not apologize for making uh, music with the band NSYNC, which I'm still waiting for. I'm still waiting for that apology, Justin. Not a fan of NSYNC. 
Taylor Swift says that Fearless, Taylor's version, is finished and will be with you very soon. It's her third new recording in a little over a year, proving once again that compared to Taylor Swift, the rest of us are simply underachieving. The re-recorded album contains six never-before-released songs, which means Taylor Swift has six ex-boyfriends that we don't know anything about. Who are these people? And R&B singers Shaka Khan and Mary J. Blige, rappers LL Cool J and Jay-Z, and pop legend Dionne Warwick were among those nominated for this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, along with, and (laughs) this is kind of odd, uh, actual rock artists nominated as well, like the Foo Fighters, Iron Maiden, and the Go-Go's. Now, I love pretty much everybody I just mentioned. I think they're great, and I think they all deserve to be in a Hall of Fame. But it might be time to change the name of this institution to something that reflects the nominees more accurately. Those are not all rock artists. It's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're not rock artists. How about Music Hall of Fame? How about Recording Artists Hall of Fame? And I know, I say this every year. It's like like people asking if Die Hard is a Christmas movie. But I guess they know what they're doing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. They don't call Cleveland Rock City for nothing. Hmm? Detroit. Detroit is Rock City? What the hell are they thinking then? Cleveland. Alas, we are probably stuck with that name uh, for the rest of our lives. Even though they seem to change the name of the Experience Music Project in Seattle almost daily. I think it's called Mopop now. It went from Experience Music Project to Experience Music Project and Science Fiction Museum to Mopop. By the way, my wife says that the Foo Fighters and the Go-Go's Uh, are also now in the uh, Licensing Our Music to Commercials Hall of Fame. And we'll just leave it right there. It was kind of a sobering podcast today, but I think an important uh, interview to share with you. And I'm glad you toughed it out. You toughed it out. You did it. Give yourself a pat on the back. Maybe something for the pain. And I will see you, well, I'll talk to you anyway, next episode. You've been listening to The Daily Detour. A production of Basic Bits, LLC, hosted by Dan Roberts. Music by Quickie. And I'm your announcer, Libet Wolf. New episodes drop Monday through Friday. Subscribe now so you never miss a moment. And we'll chat with you next time. Hey, hey.